the signs are out in the shops and uh, the decorations are going up, so let's do Christmas early. <laughs> well, not quite. It's interesting, as I uh, looked back over sermons I've done, I think I have probably preached on this passage of Luke more times than any other passage in the Bible. Um, and it was interesting to be able to look at it afresh, not doing it as a Christmas sermon, but looking at it as God's Word and what it says to us about the coming of Jesus. And so I trust that today we'll have a look at this together and uh, be able to consider what God's Word says to us. Of course, it speaks to us about Christmas. They're the events we remember. But let's do it in the context of all, not with all the hype, but just looking at God's Word and what He says. So let's pray that uh, we might uh, reflect properly on God's Word now. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that you are the God who has come into our world, that uh, through the ages you have spoken, you have told us what you are doing, and you have fulfilled your promises before us. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word here for us today, and we ask that as we consider it, that you may indeed teach us by your spirit from your word, that we might love you more and follow in your ways. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We live a lot of our lives in anticipation, don't we? We, we keep looking forward to the next big milestone in our life and we, we wait and long for that time to come. Uh, our kids are waiting to get to double digits uh, or then to become teenagers uh, our house at the moment is full of the anticipation of actually having no child at school. And of course, before you get there, you've got to complete the HSC, so we're getting through that stage first. Uh, of course, then there's the anticipation of finding the love of your life and uh, all the planning and waiting to get married. Then we uh, move to uh, looking forward to starting a family and having our children, uh, um, having children of our own. And then having children of our own, we watch them go through those sta same stages of anticipation while we're waiting for them to leave home uh, and get married and give us grandchildren. Uh, we wait for our retirement. We wait then for the holidays that we've planned. We're always waiting in anticipation for the next stage of our life, for the next thing that's coming. What is it that you're waiting for? What are you looking forward to? Now, of course, some of these events are so special that we continue to celebrate them long after they've happened. Uh, we continue to celebrate birthdays and anniversaries because they remind us of just how important those occasions are of how much anticipation went into them, how great they were at the time, and how we can, they continue to impact us uh, even now. We have these personal milestones, of course, but there are also other milestones that we have that we celebrate, aren't there? There are, there are big national milestones, events, turning points in our history, days that were anticipated for many years and which still need to be celebrated and remembered. A hundred years ago, the whole world was waiting for a great event, the end of the Great War. And there's still over a year to go before we can celebrate the centenary of Armistice Day. And no doubt we will celebrate it well because it was such a great event. 
And there are still things that many people in our nation today are looking forward to, looking forward and waiting for to happen. Uh, Aboriginal people looking forward to being recognised in the Constitution and having a role uh, of equal status in our society. Republicans looking for us to finally break our ties with England. Monarchists waiting for us to continue as we are. And as we come to Luke chapter 2, Luke has already introduced us to a lot of anticipation, a lot of anticipation that is there in the story of Jesus. And so Mary has been promised that she will have a baby. And not just any baby, but that this child will grow to be the Messiah, the great king from David's line, the one who God had promised would come and would reign forever. And then chapter 2 opens with a reminder of just why this king was so longed for. Because in those days, we read, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. You see, the current king of Israel was the Caesar of Rome. When he spoke, the whole world jumped including Israel, which, as far as Rome was concerned, was a backwater that really didn't need much uh, thinking about. And, of course, the census that Augustus ordered wasn't just like our census, where they were asking for a bit of information and about your family and your housing and your income. and It wasn't just filling in an online form. No, Augustus wanted to make sure that he was getting the taxes, the tribute that he deserved as ruler over all his empire. It was a way of him stamping his authority on the entire world that he ruled over. It was a sign that Israel weren't under God's rule, but were under Roman rule. But we see here that God is in fact even over Rome. God uses Augustus to take Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem, the hometown of David, and the place that Micah long ago had prophesied would be the birthplace of the Messiah, of the promised king, the very child that Mary was carrying. And so now we have Mary and Joseph and this child to be born right in the place where it's promised to happen. Everything is ready for the expectation that has been built and raised through Luke's gospel, even though we've only had one chapter, through the rest of the Old Testament as we've come to this point. All of it is coming and is ready to be celebrated and to be, and to find its fulfillment. With that sort of expectation being fulfilled, coming to its conclusion, you'd expect a great celebration, a great climax, a great rejoicing at all that happens. We'd expect national celebrations at the birth of the king, Joseph and Mary telling everyone about their new son. Oh, we know what that's like, don't we? Princess Kate only needs to uh, miss an engagement that she's got booked. And suddenly all the media are asking whether she's pregnant again. Even though a current pregnancy is her third and isn't actually the first in line to the, the throne, 
There'll still be a media pack outside the hospital, I'm sure, when the baby is born. Yeah, we'll see all those pictures of them up on their little stand so they can all get their photos. They'll all be there gathered around so that the whole world can see the birth of this baby. That's what we expect to happen here. But it doesn't happen. That's not what it's like at all. Not only, in fact, are there no national celebrations, but Luke doesn't even tell us anything much about Joseph and Mary and about what they might have done or how they celebrated. All we read of them is they just do what they're told to do. They're almost placid in the situation. If we look through, we find in verse 6, the time came for the baby to be born and Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Verse 21, on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise him, he was given the name Jesus. And then verse 22, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And at the end of our our reading, it concludes the events. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The baby is born. They go to Jerusalem to carry out the Old Testament rituals. They return home. If you pull out the bits that are just about Joseph and Mary and what they do, that's about it. Instead, all the focus that Luke gives in this chapter is actually on a small group of other people, an unexpected and and out-of-the-way group of people And how they respond, how they find what they are waiting for and how they find it in Jesus. They are the ones who celebrate, but it's not quite what we would have expected. First off, we have the shepherds in verse 8. They're not exactly your up-and-coming national leaders, Uh, they're not the group of people that you really look to to see be the ones who are going to make a great movement of leadership in in the land. In fact, they aren't really even waiting for anything except probably to go home to bed after looking after the sheep all night. But that all changes with the appearance of an angel. Now, we've been so conditioned by our Christmas cards that it's hard to see this as anything other than a winged person appearing in the sky with great starlight coming behind them uh, and everything else. But in fact, the Bible doesn't speak about angels having wings and in a number of places, people actually don't even realise that the person they're meeting is an angel. Angels are simply messengers from God. The shepherds, though, do know that this is an angel because the glory of the Lord shines around them as he come, as the angel comes to them. Not from the angel as such, but all around them is shining with the glory of God in the presence of this great messenger from God. This is an incredible event. They know that it's an angel and we can tell that because they have the response that most people have when they meet an angel. They're terrified. But the angel has good news for them. And not just for them, but for everyone. You see, the saviour of the world has been born. Christ the Lord. 
Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Three terms here full of meaning and hope and promise from the Old Testament as God has laid out for them what it is that he is doing. This child is to be the Saviour the one who would rescue God's people, the one who would restore them to being where they ought to be, the one who would make them a great nation. He will be the Christ, the Messiah, the one who would bring God's rule, the one who would be the king in David's line, the one who would bring a kingdom which is even greater than David's kingdom, if that could even be conceived. The Messiah, the Christ. And he would be the Lord, God's representative. Indeed, the Lord has been spoken of a number of times in this chapter already, a number of times, and each time, it's God. Is this one more than even they might have thought of at this point? This is incredible news. In fact, it's such good news that it's more than just one angel can do justice to. And so suddenly, a whole host of angels are there together, all praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. You see, God is indeed doing great things. And God is to be glorified and honoured for all that he is doing, that his promises from so long ago are being fulfilled, they are being brought about here in the presence of these shepherds. Glory is to be go to God, but it's not just the glory that is to go to God because it is that what he is doing bring peace to mankind, peace to the earth. Peace to people because God's blessing, his favour rests on them. God's gracious towards us and his grace and mercy is deserving of him receiving all glory and honour. It is a great occasion. And if the, if the shepherds rather hadn't been waiting for something when the night began... Well, they're sure waiting for something now. Let's go to Bethlehem, they say, and see this thing that has happened and which the Lord has told us about. Let's go and see. We've been told about this great thing. Let's go. And so they do. They go and find things just as they were told. They find the signs that they were given exactly as they expected. A baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Quite the sign you expect for the Christ, the Lord. But the sign they were given. And a sign with great significance because it shows that this king has come as God has promised. He's come to lift up the lowly and to bring down the strong. He comes to the shepherds of the world, not to the rulers. He lies in a manger because there's no room for him in the inn. 
probably not a motel. It probably wasn't a motel or that sort of building in, uh, in Bethlehem at the time. But the, the, the guest room, the, the privileged part of the house, Instead, in the in uh, in Israelite houses of the time, to keep your animals safe, you would have them in the house with you, probably on the lower level. That's where Jesus is born. No bed, but the manger. He comes lowly, not as the one who seeks glory and honour for himself, but the one who comes to serve. And the very sign that is given to the, the shepherds depicts that very thing. And so after seeing Jesus, they returned to their sheep, glorifying and praising God, the great king that they were waiting for. In fact, even the one that they weren't really aware of how much they needed, but the one that they now realize they need to be waiting for has come. What a great occasion. No wonder they glorify and praise God just as the angels did at what God is doing. But if the shepherds weren't actively waiting for the Christ to be born when they were told about him by the angel, there were others who were doing that, who were waiting, who were looking, who were living in anticipation of what God was going to do. Simeon and Anna at the temple in Jerusalem. You see, if you're waiting for the Christ, then the temple is the place you'd expect to find him. You'd expect to find him in come to Jerusalem. But like the shepherds, Simeon and Anna aren't the prophets we expect to be the ones to recognize Jesus. You see, they're not the temple priests. They're not the officially recognized prophets. They're, they have no great status in, the, in, in Jerusalem. Simeon, we're told, is, is just a righteous and devout man in Jerusalem. Anna, we're told, is a prophetess and she can trace her family lineage uh, in, uh, back to, where, to uh, the tribe that she comes from. We can see that she is devout in the way that she continues to, to pray and fast at the temple. She's been faithful to God even though she's been a widow for so much of her life. And yet, she is still a woman. She is of the, a tribe of northern Israel, that part of Israel who were disregarded, who had been taken off into exile and were forgotten by the faithful tribes of Judah in the south. And yet although Simeon and Anna are not the ones that the leaders and the rulers look to, they are the people that have been chosen by God. We read that God has given his Holy Spirit to Simeon and God has told him that he would not die before seeing the Christ. Anna, it appears, leads a, a group of people who are together looking forward to the redemption of Israel, the day when God would come and rescue them. In all Jerusalem, it seems that it is only these faithful servants who are actively waiting for God's Christ and who actually recognize who this child is. And what they are waiting for is actually not what most people were hoping for or expecting. We see that in the way that they received Jesus. You see, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
It's a term that is taken from Isaiah 52. There God speaks of how he comforts his people by sending his servant, the suffering servant, the one who takes on the weakness and sorrows of God's people, the one who is pierced for their transgressions, the one who takes the punishment that Israel deserves so that they could have peace. He's not waiting for the great king who will come and conquer Rome like so many of his compatriots were at the time. No, Simeon is filled with the Holy Spirit and so he is looking to to what God will do to lead his people back to holiness and righteousness. And not just Israel. But as Simeon praises God for letting him see the fulfillment of God's promises, he describes, uh, he describes him as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Again, it's another reference to the work of the suffering servant in Isaiah. This time from chapter 49, where God says to his servant, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to, to, to just restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. See, God's plans for this child are more than just to make Israel great. Through Jesus, God is saving the whole world. But it is a salvation that will come with division. And so in his words to Mary in verse 34, Simeon sees that this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. With the insight that God's Spirit has given him, Simeon sees that not not everyone in Israel are going to be saved. Some will be raised up but others will fall. And the basis of this rising or falling, Simeon sees, is going to be how they respond to this child, to Jesus. In fact, even Mary isn't immune from this. Her own soul will be divided in her response to her son, like being cut with a sword. Will she even be able to recognise who he really is. Luke 2 might not be the great national celebration that we might have anticipated for the birth of the Messiah. But we do see here that those who were waiting for the right thing, those who had godly insight into what God was doing, understood they were they their anticipation what they were waiting for was completely fulfilled and so the shepherds glorify and praise god for all the things they had heard and seen simeon is now happy to be dismissed he is at peace having seen the coming of god's salvation and anna tells everyone who is waiting for israel to be redeemed that this is the child who will do it. It is all fulfilled. There is great rejoicing. 
But of course, there's still so much more to look forward to in God's in in Luke's gospel. See, how will this baby actually achieve these things? How is he going to fulfil all these incredible claims that have been made of him? What is the dividing of Israel going to look like? How will he be both the Christ and the suffering servant? Something which many in Israel had no not even an inkling that they were the same person. See, there's plenty still to come. But we shouldn't forget what an incredible thing has begun. With the shepherds and Simeon and Anna, alongside them we have incredible things to praise God for and to rejoice in. The birth of Jesus is the coming of God's salvation. He has come into our world to act for us, to to save us. That is something truly worth celebrating. Sometimes it can be hard at Christmas, can't it? We get so caught up with all the razzle-dazzle of Christmas, with all the busyness and the hassle and the drama that it involves, that actually remembering who Jesus is just has to get squeezed in there somewhere. But we should never get tired of celebrating the coming of the Saviour who has come into our world. Uh, Like the great events in our own life, this is something to keep on celebrating, to remember over and over again that God has acted. He has fulfilled his promises. He has brought his salvation. But also like the milestones in in our life, as we achieve one, there's always another one to look forward to, isn't there? The birth of Jesus fulfills all the anticipation of the coming of God's salvation. But that's only one stage in God's plans. There is even more to look forward to. How have you responded to Jesus? Have you received him as your Lord and Saviour that you know that you are made right with God through him? course that's the next big step isn't it and if you've made that step then what next well ultimately it's we're looking for jesus to return isn't it we long for and wait we anticipate and look forward to that great day when jesus will return when he will come back and his kingdom will be seen for all that it is What are you waiting for? What's the next big thing in your life? Are you living in the anticipation of the return of Jesus? That like Anna, like Simeon, even like the shepherds as they were told of what was coming, are you anticipating living with God forever? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you have fulfilled your promises, that we've seen that in the way that Jesus came into this world, that those who knew what to look for saw the great things that you were doing and were able to praise and glorify your name as a result. Father, we pray that you would teach and show us what you are doing in our world. 
Father, we pray that you would help us to keep remembering the great thing that you have done for us in sending your Son. And Father, as we receive him as our Lord and as our Christ, as our Saviour, Father, we pray that you would help us to anticipate, to look forward to, to wait for that great day when he will return. May we indeed live each day with that in our minds, that we might be your servants, so that when Jesus comes, we will be ready. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.